This program is sponsored by Futures Unbounded and is responsible for its content. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. I am T.A., a teacher's assistant. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. The Bible's where it's at. Um, unfortunately, most of us don't get much time in the Bible. We get um, half hour to an hour of preaching from someone who has studied the Bible, but they studied the Bible in a seminary, and they had to learn to do things that way in order to pass uh, seminary and in order to be um, inducted into their particular religion. Um, and that's the problem. The problem is that the religion does not reflect what the Bible says. It takes little bits and pieces of it like spice to add to what the human voices are saying. Now, the human voices, I'm sure, mean well. Uh, one of my mother's favorite sayings, um, supposedly Dr. Johnson quoted this from uh, um, an earlier uh, scribe who wrote it, and that was that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And my mother would say sometimes, and every brick that was laid down, the individual thought they were doing the right thing. And I have to agree. I mean, I just, that was so sharp of her. I don't know where she got it, maybe from her parents. But um, that's exactly what's happening in our world today. They, um, the liberals of our world have replaced God with righteousness. Um, and the God that they replaced, though, was a God of religion rather than the Lord of the Bible. And that is the main problem. The problem that we are channeling and responding to human ideas that are about 1,800 years old. And those ideas, um, although they were thought to be very um, forthright at the time, had changed from their inception at the New Testament, which was 200 years earlier. So during the ensuing 200 years between uh, the time it was written and the time that it was modified so that all the preachers who were preaching about Christ could be included, all but a very few, um, so that it could become a state religion. Um, this was um, modified by humans. There's no other way to put it. And as we know, Psalm 146.3 says, Put not your faith in princes, nor in any son of man. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and do not rely on your own understanding. Those are favorites of mine, but the idea is, the reason that they're favorites is because they tell us that we are not supposed to accept other humans' point of view in place of what the Bible says. Now, somebody wants to try and figure it out, and they, they have a thought that may be a little strange. You want to help them, follow along with them, see if you can't dis discern where they may have gone wrong or where they may have gone right. Um, uh, this morning, I was at um, my church's Bible study, and um, we're studying Ephesians, and we studied Ephesians 2 today, finished Ephesians 1. And I can't wait until we get to Ephesians 4, but Ephesians 2, and I've read it to you over the air before, the complete Jewish Bible version. Tonight I have up the um, expanded Bible version. But the, the thing that you need to realize is that in the first 10 verses, the author, which... Originally was thought to be Paul, and now they're not quite so sure. Um, the author intended to present two clear pictures. And the clear picture, the first clear picture was the beginning of your physical, spiritual, mental, emotional life here on earth as you were coming of age. And the second picture was a view on your way out after you had modified your approach, accepted Christ, and was now a believer. And the 60 to 70 years or however long in between time was not addressed. Now, perhaps he felt the people that he was writing to in Ephesus um, had all worked through their Christianity? I don't know. But uh, tonight we're going to get those two clear pictures because you need to understand what it is that, that this author is talking about. So Ephesians 2.1, In the past you were spiritually dead. Again, this is from the expanded Bible. Because of your sins and the things you did against God, the transgressions. Yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives. According to the ways of and the age of this world, following the ruler, Satan, of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like them. Giving in to the cravings of our sinful natures, the desires of the flesh, and doing all the things our bodies and mind wanted. We should have suffered God's anger, because we were sinful by nature. Now, this is this, is this author's 
opinion. The fact is we are sinful by nature, and that's why Jesus was sent to show us another way. But whether we deserved the wrath of God for our sins, God did, obviously did not think so, or he would not have sent Jesus. So that part I am going to openly disagree with. But then verse 4 starts, But God's mercy is great, and he loved us very much, which is true. I, at least I accept that as true. Though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, we were brought to life with Christ and have been saved by God's grace. There's nothing there that I want to argue with, and hopefully you don't either. But the point that he makes here, well, let's go on a little further. But God's mercy is great. Though we were spiritually dead, he gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. And he raised us up with Christ and gave us a seat with him in the heavens. Now, here's the part that, that he, he should have left off. Um, again, this is perhaps the people in Ephesus, and he, he or she or whomever has determined that these folks have already um, transformed themselves into Christians. It's not as easy as it sounds. But the fact of the matter is that we are all born with gifts, spiritual gifts. They may be paltry or they may be huge, but you've got something. And the grace, the gift of grace is like, to give you an example, like you're an artist, you have the soul of an artist, and but you don't have any paintbrushes or paints or canvas you have the imagination, you have the ability. You just do not have anything to record it on in order to share it with your brothers and sisters here on earth. The God's gift of grace are those paints and that easel and the paint brushes and the paper that you can use to maximize your ability to communicate with your brothers and sisters in a way that will bring them closer to you and to God. And that's what some people may call work and other people don't. When you hear the... Um, the argument against works, it means that works without grace. It shouldn't just say works, I should say works without grace. Because when you're given grace, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work. What it means is that you now have the tools you need to make your work count for something. Whereas before, it with works without grace is like spinning your wheels. 
you won't get anywhere. But a lot of religions have looked at grace and said the fact that you were offered grace meant that you got an automatic buy, and that is not true. There are certain key words in the Bible that God uses, and we don't pay enough attention to them. And they are key words because they're important. So something you for you to look up, either in a Strong's Concordance or um, an online um, Bible, and you can look in many different um, translations and find a key word and look it up and go through all the opportunities that that particular translation brings forward. The key word I'm referring you to tonight is wholeheartedly. God said many times, for anyone who searches for me wholeheartedly, I will let him find me. In Amos, he says, Amos 5, I believe, he said, Search for me wholeheartedly, and you will find life. And that's what this is all about, folks. Living and breathing is not life, with a capital L. Loving your brothers and sisters is not life, without a capital L. The only thing that is life with a capital L is responding to the opportunity God has given you, reading the Bible, and understanding what he's trying to tell you and why he's trying to tell you this. This is what's important. Just existing is not life. Existing with a purpose, and that purpose being to respond to the opportunity God has given you, this is life with a capital L. And this is what you should be chasing. The big three questions that are listed in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is one of the places, are who are you, what are you, and why are you here on earth? Those are the big three questions. Those are the things that you're supposed to be trying to determine. And you're supposed to use your soul and the Bible and the reality that surrounds you to figure it out. You are not supposed to be living up to somebody else's fantasy of what God should have said and what God should have meant. You need to understand that the thing that God wants most for you is for you to grow up and be his adult child, his successful loving, and obedient adult child, but obedient because it is the best way 
not because, not just because, you love God. Because that's the child's way. And that's what Jesus came to show us the difference between. As I started off this uh, Ephesians 2 at the top, we said, and I will, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go to a different translation just to make it easier. I hope. <laughs> I'm going to go to the God's Word translation, which is um, the one I go to most often. And it says, You were dead, once dead because of your failures and sins. You followed the ways of this present world, Olam Hazah, and its spiritual ruler. All of us once lived among these people and followed the desires of our corrupt nature. We did what our corrupt desires and thoughts wanted us to do. Now, every one of us was born into our body and had to filter out all the inputs that we were given through that body and determine what it is that we needed and wanted to do. And our corrupt nature, if you will, said, serve yourself. Feed me. Clothe me. Burp me. Everything was about you. And because you were a baby, that was expected. You had to make a place for yourself in the world. If you had loving parents, it was much easier. But that love could also be smothering. And you could have been taught something that other humans believed, but that was not biblical. And that's where I came in. That's where we all came in. All of us who were taken to church and taught a religion that was spiced up with little dribs and drabs from the Bible, and assumed, well, these people are educated, so they must know what they're talking about. When what they were talking about is something that had been passed on for 1,800 years, a point of view of the Bible that was cobbled together to cover all the bases, not something that was biblically correct. So all the Christian religions, all of them, were founded on desires, the corrupt nature of humans, and not on the Bible. This is going to upset a lot of people because they have put a lot of time and energy into accepting all the different things that the religions have taught because their friends did, everybody they thought of as intelligent or capable or holy or whatever. Because these folks did, and you wanted to be like them, so you accepted. And yet that is not what the Bible teaches. And you must understand, God did not give man religion. We created it on our own as a buffer between us and God. It's very easy to see that that's what the Jews did. God permitted it 
because it was another hurdle. Jeremiah asked God, Lord, why do sinful people seem to do so well while they're here on earth? And God replied, Do you want it to be easy? Now, here, it's going to be much tougher later on. So I permit these people to seem to flourish, to make it harder on you so that you will have to work harder to overcome the things that they do. God was straight with Jeremiah. And because of that, we have that knowledge directly from the source. Ephesians 2, on the other hand, when we, it certifies that as babes learning to struggle and walk and breathe and operate in this world were developed using our corrupt nature. It is only when we look around and say, what will my corrupt nature bring me? Will it satisfy me? It's only then that you start to think about God. Now, most of us then, will not go to the Bible. We will go to someone to explain the Bible to us. And that's where we made our mistake. Religions mean well. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. The Bible is the voice of God. And he had it written and modeled for us so that when we got a little more sophisticated and were able to read the Bible on our own, we would be able to break away from the religions that bound us. And that's where we are today. We can break away from the religions and respond to the Bible. Now the thing that that Jesus did that makes it hard to understand while you are still channeling the corrupt nature of your childhood is that everything you did for yourself as a child was subjective. What do I think? What do I feel? What is good for me? What are my friends? What do they think? What do they feel? What is good for them and me? Everything revolved around you, and that's subjective. Your decisions were subjective. What you thought was good was subjective. And Jesus said the only way to break away from that and go unto the Father is by doing as I do and switch to an objective framework for making decisions. What is good for everyone? What is good for all? What is good for all my brothers and sisters as well as me? So we come back from the break 
we will explore that. The middle time in between your birth and development and your death, hopefully, as a committed Christian. The time in between you choose to work and what you accomplish with that work. See you on the other side of the break. Swamp, fake news, racist hats. Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all true life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll You'll be be the the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHK 1220, a Salem radio station. We were in Ephesians 2, and the second picture at the end of life that he is painting was for the Ephesians, those Christians at Ephesus that had already become Christians. Now, we don't know if this is just Paul's um, take on it, if he was kind of pushing it to have them hang together as a church, or if they understood what it was that Jesus did for them. But the rest of the chapters about Jews and non-Jews, the barrier between them being removed— 
And that may have been true as far as um, their ability to worship God is concerned. Um, but to be honest, that barrier was never really there. It was just one that was promulgated by the Jews. But that's because of the writings of Moses and the fact that they followed those writings and that Jesus superseded those writings. That was to keep people in shape so that they could follow God's dictums, and they chose not to. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find many, many times, and they chose to do what God considered evil. Now, it's just a comment, but it's a judgment. And it isn't that God quit trying to reach them. He sent more prophets. The prophets, um, they agreed to in Deuteronomy, they asked God only to send prophets that were born Jewish from amongst them. And he said he would. So they got people that they should have been able to trust because they were completely cognizant of everything they had to go through. But apparently that didn't mean enough. They didn't listen. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. Poor Jeremiah found out in the end just how much they didn't want to listen. But thank God his words were recorded. We really, really do need to thank God for the Bible because it lays out everything that he has told us. There are not only instructions and directions, but there are examples and models of how to do and what to do and when to do it so that you will be made whole with God through Christ. Now that may sound religious, but it's actually biblical. Paul in Ephesians 3 says that um, you understand that I'm responsible for bringing the knowledge of grace to you. You've heard about a revelation that I received. And uh, you've read about the mystery of Christ. I'm not sure how many people understood, though. And that's okay because it's not up to me. Now, in the 21st century, we have the capacity to understand how you decide and what you decide is extremely important. Second Chronicles 25.2, I believe it is, I'd have to look it up, is one of those wholeheartedly quotes. And it says, and look it up, 
look it up online or in a Strong's Concordance. Look up wholeheartedly. And you'll see that this one particular instance where God says, even though this particular individual did what God wanted him to do, he did not do it wholeheartedly. So our obedience, just our obedience, is not enough. We need to make that spiritual conversion. We need to channel being the child of God so that we can respond to God and what he has offered, the opportunities that he's given us to become whole. Now, what happens to my soul after my body can no longer keep it here on earth is beyond my pay grade. It's not anything I'm concerned about. I love God and he has shown me every step of the way that this is what he wants from me and from other humans. It was Jesus' words that tweaked me to the solution where he said he was the son of man, caps on both, son and man. He did not claim to be the Son of God. Religion proclaimed him the Son of God. The first religion proclaimed him the Son of God, the Jewish religion, and called it blasphemous and killed him for it. The Christian religions have proclaimed him the Son of God and worship him for it. And yet Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Is that because he wasn't? Or was it because what he was was so much more important than being the Son of God? When you think the Son of God, you think the only Son of God with the power and authority here on earth to forgive sins. Okay, that's fair. It's in the Bible. But Jesus did not want that to keep you from learning what to do in order to find your way to God. No man goeth unto the Father, but doing as I do. And that's the important thing. Are you going to do as Jesus does? Are you going to quit making decisions by external viewpoints and judge correctly, which is John 7, 24? Jesus said that was the reason that he was sent to earth to get us to change our minds. And he was the example Now, religions want you to believe 
in the spiritual salvation only. Now, where did I get that from? That's the part that they focus on because to them, your body will die so it can't be saved. And that hides a little-known fact from our evil natures. And that is that the religious people and you think that you are your body. You're not. You are your soul. Which is modified. Which allows you to modify it by living in a body and going through all the trials and tribulations that living on earth will create for you and choosing to walk the way of the Lord. And that way is the objective way. What is real? What does God want from you or for you and why? You have to work on the why. You are not giving God your first fruits of your intelligence and your soul if you don't work on why. If you acquiesce to any sort of human pattern, it is just that, a human pattern. It is not what God wanted you to understand or what Jesus wanted you to understand. Why offer someone grace if they just had to believe in another human pattern? You were freed from your sins or at least offered that freedom so that you wouldn't let them drag you down and you would instead process reality from an objective point of view and discover that God is not only real and still in control, but much, much, much more than any religion simplistically tries to tell you. He's not the guy in the sky granting wishes. Read the Bible. When Moses asks Yahweh who he is, why does he not know and expect that question from Moses? Hindsight's twenty twenty. We know because Yahweh did not grow up, did not develop in a human body. So he never had an identity circumlocated around a physical existence.
These are the kinds of things that the Bible tells you when you read the Bible for content rather than to point out something that another well-intentioned human has told you is true. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And they laid those paving stones very carefully, thinking that they were doing the right thing. That's called righteousness. For no man is righteous. Only God is good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You had no choice in that matter. The choice you had by grace was to overcome your sinful nature and to begin to process reality objectively. Not a fantasy created by humans in order to bring other humans along as a power base. No. An individual who accepted the grace from God reads the Bible and asks God for guidance and never quit. There is so much more for us to learn we have the time. The reason that I started this program is because that I'm concerned that the first prediction, what um, the Bible calls, or what translators of the Bible call the first promise, will be come true. And that is in Genesis 3. And the snake is denying what God has told Adam. And that is, if you eat from the forbidden tree, you will surely die. Surely, as in, not physically at that moment, but throughout time, the entire human race will die. unless they switch to objective decision-making using reality as the base. So that was my concern. Even though in Deuteronomy it says that we will have another chance, but that chance will come between the time we realize what we're doing wrong, and hopefully that's starting now, and when the Jews turn back to God. Now, I don't know how much time that gives us. Jews are pretty hard-headed. God made them that way. He told them, I fashioned you in the forge of Egypt. And he did it for a purpose. And that purpose was to carry his words forward into the future for all mankind. Not just for the Jews. 
And he also told them, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy, you will be my examples before all mankind for good or for ill. The choice is yours. And of course, we know what choice they made. They are the worst examples of disobedient humans that have ever come down the pike. But they're still doing their job. They're still existing. They're still carrying his word forward, even though they show no ability to accept it, understand it, or work with it. They are still carrying it forward, and that's their job. The translators that are religiously trained, however, since the 1599 Geneva Bible, have translated the Bible towards a more loving, quote-unquote, message, and away from the harsh message that was included there. Now, the religious masters think that this is a good thing and encourage them to do this. But one of the absolute most well-understood tenets of the Old Testament is never add to or take away anything from God's words. And that's the problem. The Christian religious practitioners don't think they're doing that. They think they're illuminating it for you. And the only thing they're illuminating is the understandings they get from their subjective or corrupt natures and not from their servant style objective decision-making based on reality, the reality of the Bible. It's their spin that spins them away, and they don't realize it. And what's worse, they're telling that to all these people, reassuring them, oh, no, this is what the Bible means. This is what it really says. You don't have to worry about that. Just do this. If you were the devil and it was your job to creatively help humanity to fail, could you think of a better way to do it? You cannot change the Bible. But you can have translators translate it in a way to where it appears to change. Nothing that was actually written 3,400 years ago in the Old Testament can be changed. Nothing that was written 2,000 years ago in the New Testament can be changed. 
But what you think it says can be changed by a new translation that is softer, more accepting. Not pointing its fingers at people who do things they shouldn't. Hate the sin and love the sinner, you're told. Well, Paul was pretty straightforward about that. He said, go to them in love. But if they will not change their ways, shun them. Give them the opportunity and encouragement to change. Help them. But if they decide that they want to do what they want to do, don't associate with them. Unfortunately, that is not what religions today are preaching from the pulpit. And the reason they're doing it is pretty reasonable. They all have bills to pay. They're paid to be up there in that pulpit. They have churches to operate. Other people work there and they get paid there. They have to send money to the religion that they are supported and created started by. So there's an awful lot of people with their hand out and you need to fill those palms. If you can't fill it with the people that are strictly and straightforwardly biblically oriented, well, just soften it a bit. Let those people on the outside come in. Unfortunately, this is the way of all flesh, the corrupt nature that you started off with, and hopefully will change once you understand that it is up to you to change your point of view to the Bible and reality and not to a religious fantasy that tells you you don't need to worry. You're saved. They don't tell you what you're saved for or saved from, but you don't need to worry about that. Unfortunately, the Bible is really clear once you read it for content. And that is that the corrupt nature you grew up with, you have to choose another way. You have to repent and go of the way of the objective decision-making system and do it not just for yourself, but for all your brothers and sisters. And all that you've heard about it freeing your soul is true. You really don't care what other people think. Once you are lined up with what God thinks and what Jesus told us to do, it will lift all the concerns that you have from your shoulders. Then, of course, you'll do as I do, and you'll try and get the word out to other people, hey, 
This is what you need to do. Read the Bible. Learn. Understand. Challenge. Again, one of my favorite, 1 Thessalonians 5, and this is Paul. Um, and he is very stridently encouraging the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 16. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Whatever happens, give thanks, but it, because it is God's will in Christ Jesus that you do this. Verse 19, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't despise what God has revealed. Instead, test everything. Hold on to what is good and keep away from every kind of evil. Well, that's going to end our lesson for this evening. Started in Ephesians 2. So hopefully you'll come back next week and we'll be able to discuss again later on in Ephesians, more in John, and what God has in store for you once you start following Jesus' path. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. Good night. This program has been sponsored by George Satari, CPS.